0: turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing on through this passage, which is kind of a a part two uh, to last week's sermon, as uh, this morning's passage also comes uh, directly out of that uh, well-known saying that, that Paul makes in verse 21. So, just, just uh, let's quickly remind ourselves of, of this context with which uh, we're studying today and looking at by looking at uh, the end of verse 18 uh, all the way through verse 26. Let's uh, look at that together again. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So, we see once again here that Paul is confident That his being a prisoner of Rome will work out for his deliverance. Remember we talked about that last week. He says that right there in verse 20, look at that, whether by life or by death, he is confident that Christ will be honored in his body. And his confidence in Christ being honored, whether by life or death, is grounded in that statement in verse 21, in, in verse 21, remember, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And so last week, if you remember, we started to talk about how verses 22 through 26 just kind of flow out of that uh, fairly famous verse, verse 21. So they, they just, just showing us how uh, living is Christ on one side and how dying is gain on the other. How Paul understands these two truths to play themselves out through his life or his death. That's what we see in verses 22 through 26. So we spent all of last week mostly concentrating on verse 23 and seeing just how it is that Paul can say with confidence that to die is gain. And we talked about, if you remember, we talked about how as Christians... Of course, being with Christ is greater than anything that we could ever begin to imagine. And as you think deeply about what it is that you are actually losing when you die, and what it is that you are gaining, then it really makes sense that all of us would have the same attitude as Paul when it comes to how we actually would be, would be overjoyed with the prospect of leaving this world, and leaving our sin behind, and finally being in the presence of Christ. We went into much greater detail on that last week, and hopefully a little of that is still in your head, because it is important to have that in mind. That kind of sets the context for just how much, uh, just, just understanding just how much Paul cannot wait to depart to be with Christ. Remember, look again in verse 23. He says, uh, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Far better. That's the far better option. Keeping that in mind then, keep, keeping that in mind, that that is, that is His desire. The, the far better option. The, uh, remember the, the literal, the much more greater option. Keeping that in mind really adds to helping us to understand just what it is that Paul means by to live is Christ, which is the section which is what we're going to be talking about today. So as we look at this, we need to see right away that Paul's understanding of to live as Christ, to live as Christ looks different than maybe what you and I might first think of. Right, so a lot of times when we are asked about what it means to be living for Christ, we immediately, don't we? We immediately kind of start uh, rattling off uh, the list of like spiritual disciplines. Uh, it means to prioritize studying the Bible and to to be in prayer and to to going to church as much as we can. Or we talk about our own personal sanctification, like. Um, how how much we've grown in in certain areas of our lives, and how we're we're mortifying different sins in our lives. Or we might think about how we are to be living as as lights in this world, as salt and light in this world, among our unbelieving neighbors or co-workers, and, and letting others see a difference in us when it comes to how we live our lives. And those are all great things and they are all things that that should definitely describe priorities in our lives and in how we live but none of them even though they they are priorities none of them are the end to what it means to be a christian in this life they are all necessary for us in this life as long as we re- remain alive we need to be growing in our understanding of god's word and becoming dependent on prayer and not forsaking uh, the assembly and living lives among the world where they can see that we are we are continuously continuously growing in personal holiness that that all needs to be the case, but none of those are reasons why we should necessarily why we should be remaining here in our earthly bodies so if if growing in those things were the final goal of this earthly life, then there really would be no reason why it would make. More sense for God to keep us here rather than taking us straight to heaven. Again, those are all. I, I just want to make sure you're clear on this. Those are all extremely important areas for us to grow in, and you will find that many of those things are applications to to many of our sermons and, and the equipping hour lessons and other things you might hear taught at church. But the reason that all of those things are so important for us to grow in is because they equip us. And, and they make us more well prepared for what to live is Christ truly means. And that is that we are to live our lives in sacrificial service to others for the sake of Christ. Look back again. Look at verses 21 and 22 again. He says, For to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, if I am to live in the flesh that means fruitful labor for me. Paul's definition of to live is Christ, what he understands to be the reason that he would continue on in life is fruitful labor for him. That's how he defines it. If I continue on in the flesh... Paul says. If I, if I do not die, that can only mean that the reason that I am still here is because God has fruitful labor for me to accomplish for the sake of His church. That's why I'm here. Paul understands that if, if he were to die, he would no longer have to worry about growing in his understanding of God's Word, and he would no longer have to worry about growing in personal holiness, because he would be in the presence of God, where his sanctification would be complete and and where he, he now would have unfettered access to the one whom he studies the Scripture in order to know better. Therefore, all of the reasons behind growing in all of the means that allow us to know and love God more in this life find their culmination in our service and ministry to others for the sake of Christ and His kingdom and as His servants. This is something that it is easy for us to forget in Christian life and practice. It is so easy, especially with so many of the resources out there, to just, to just really get excited about a particular new truth about, about God that we understand better or to, to praise the Lord for a, for a sinful pattern that through His power we have overcome. Those are good things and we should praise God for those and but but and remember that in in the first several sermons in this book, if you can remember back that far, we talked about the the bend of most christian resources isn 't even that good it's it 's usually the most Christian resources, most Christian music uh, tends toward kind of a self absorbed uh, Jesus is my buddy and he's kind of my resource for personal happiness type of thinking. They tend to make the Christian life all about how I, you know, how I have to really believe how great God thinks I am and how much he loves me and that's that's kind of the end. But what we are talking about here is is actually slightly different than that. And can even be a temptation for those of us who who like hearing that last paragraph can um, we kind of chuckle to ourselves and we, and because we know we can spot that kind of self-absorbed Christianity from a mile away and we have no problem protecting our family and our church from it. But what this passage helps us to be on guard against, uh, the mistake it helps us with is that even when we are reading really good books that help us to understand even better the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man and the glory of Christ on the cross, or taking even really good lessons, like 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 in yesterday's STM, was we talked about the Trinity, right? There, there is no way that you can have an orthodox lesson on the Trinity and come out of it thinking, "I'm a pretty special guy." That that just can't happen. It it magnifies who God is, and it makes you feel so small. So, so doing that, or even even taking our own, our own Bible reading and learning really great and true things about who God is as He reveals Himself in Scripture, those are, those are all really great things and things that we should all be doing and understanding better. But what this passage does is it helps us to guard against taking even awe-inspiring truths from trusted sources that make much of God and bring us into proper humility And it helps us, even with those things, to not make the mistake of letting our own personal growth become the end goal of what we're learning. It helps us to understand that the sanctification that takes place in our own lives is for the purpose of better equipping us for the fruitful labor that God has for us to accomplish in this realm, this realm while we are still in the flesh. To live is Christ does not mean merely personally growing in Christ like, like conformity to Him apart from, the, apart from the outward selfless ministry to others. It cannot mean that. We are not to be a bunch of sheep who just come in here, take advantage of all the great preaching and teaching resources and just kind of get fatter and fatter. But much the same way, like in our daily lives we take in good food in our physical bodies so that we have so that we have the energy to accomplish all of the day's work that we have so too we are not to come in here take in all that we get and end up being a bunch of fat sheep who don't move around and do anything and that's what we see clearly from this passage the passage that we're looking at today the reason that we are here the reason that we are here and not in heaven is because there is still Fruitful labor for us on this earth. Fruitful labor for the sake of His church. Fruitful labor means that that we are working, right? That's what labor means. And, And through our work, God is producing His intended results. That fruitful growth that comes naturally. The growth of His kingdom. The growth that He desires to see. So, that is what we are going to see in this passage today. By, by looking at how Paul understands what his life is about in this passage, we will clearly see what is meant by to live is Christ. So to be even a little more clear, we will see in this passage that to live is Christ means that we are to live our lives laboring for the good of others. For us to say along with Paul, for me to live as Christ means living our lives in fruitful and faithful labor. It means we are spending ourselves for the good of others. And we will see this by bringing out four points from these verses. Four points from verses 24-26. through And I'll say them real quick and then we'll go more slowly through them. Number one, working for the best of others. Number two, working for the growth of others. Number three, working for the joy of others. And number four, working so that Christ will be glorified through others. So, point number one, working for the best of others. Fruitful labor for us means working for the best of others. If we really understand what Paul is talking about in this passage Then it should strike our kind of our our pleasure our, our pleasure seeking society as quite surprising. Because most people would admit that one of the main reasons that they work as hard as they do is because it allows them to achieve the ends that they desire. Right, whether that is uh, having nicer things, or going on better vacations, or going on more vacations, or being able to, to enjoy retirement, being able to spoil their kids or their grandkids, or even just, even just the personal satisfaction that comes with getting a job done and seeing the change, if that's just kind of a, an idol in your heart, that you, that's what you need to see. But remember what Paul is asking here. Look back again at verse 22. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. He says, which shall I choose, I cannot tell. And the next verse says, I'm hard pressed between the two. Remember, we talked about what that means last week. Paul isn't actually making the choice. He recognizes that God is sovereign and God's the one who's in control of whether he lives or dies. He knows that this is God's decision. This is a matter of what he would prefer. And if you remember last week, we talked about the problem with most Christians who would usually prefer to live rather than die. It's usually not for noble reasons, like Paul's like maybe wanting to stand before God and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter to the joy of your master. So because I want to hear that, I'm going to stay here and do fruitful labor for him as long as he needs me to. That's not usually the reason that we would prefer or choose life. If if we're honest, usually it's that we would actually just kind of love to hold on to this life. And, and, And if we could just continue to have good health, we'd be fine just going on forever. Unfortunately, that's how so many Christians live and how their hearts actually operate. But for Paul, that is not the case. That's not so. He would way rather depart and be with Christ. Remember, we we talked about how that language in verse 23 indicates that he believes that that's the far better option. Like it's not even close in his mind where he would rather be. He sees that as the ultimate prize. No more prison. No more difficult labor for him. No more persecution. No more being uh, spoken against and taught against. No more being hated. Only eternal bliss in the company of the one who he loves more than anything else. No more sin, no more sinful world, no more sin in himself. So that that is why what Paul is saying here is so surprising. Paul is having a tough time deciding which he would prefer between paradise and labor. Between paradise and work. Uh, That doesn't seem like a tough choice to me. That's not a tough choice for most of us. But, but what we are reminded of in Paul is that he, he sees that day as the end. Uh, the end of the race that he's been running for the sake of Christ. The race he's been running for the sake of Christ for his entire life. This is the, the whole goal of his earthly existence is, is living for that day and standing before the God whom he served his whole life. He can't wait for that. Remember, that's what we talked about what verse 23 is. That, just, just for a brief moment, when he says, My desire is de- to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Just for a brief moment, we see Paul's spirit soaring as he thinks about the ultimate joy that awaits him one day. Just for a brief moment, looking upon that which his heart longs for and imagining it in front of him. And then in verse 24, he comes back down to the reality of what is most necessary. Look in verse 24 again. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So as Paul thinks through that which he would prefer the most, he is making a decision, and he's making a decision before him between that which is that which is remember very much more better, and that which is more necessary. This is such an important principle, as we see in Paul the the conviction that when it comes to doing that which would make him most happy, that which is that which is better for him. The decision between that and that which is most necessary. When it comes down to that decision, that which is most necessary wins out. And this is not because Paul is some workaholic who would rather work than enjoy paradise. He's not someone who is so insecure in their identity in Christ that they find their purpose only in their work. It's precisely because Paul so perfectly understands his identity that he is joyfully willing, joyfully willing to do whatever it is that is more necessary. The desire to stay and fruitfully labor for the church comes from the same place as the desire to depart and be with Christ. The same place which is his identity in Christ. His identity is, is not only a child of God through Christ, but also his position as a slave of Christ. Remember we talked about that. Look back at verse 1 of chapter 1. How Paul introduces himself. How he starts off the whole letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Servants of Christ Jesus. And we remember um, that that word servant is the kind of the nice English way of translating the word slave. It's actually the word slave. It means that he's, Paul sees himself as one who is completely subject to the will of another. That that is what governs his life and his decisions. And Paul recognizes that this very same Christ whom he loves and whom he longs to be with, the one who purchased his redemption through his propitiating work on the cross, Paul belongs to Him. And he's ready to serve Him to do whatever Christ deems is most necessary. It doesn't matter what Paul wants. It's all about what Christ wants. So it's that very same love for Christ that makes him long to be in his presence, that very same love that makes him long for that, that also drives him to a life of fruitful labor. The final decision about where Paul wants to be the most just comes down to wherever it is that Christ wants him to be the most. And that is how it should be for us as well. For Paul, it's like that brief moment of thinking of heaven just makes him want to get back to work for Christ. Get back to the work of the church. that drives him back to it even more. That's that's another reason, by the way, why you should not buy into those, those heaven tourism books. Ones where people claim that they've died and gone to heaven and come back. You don't see the same results. Those people who claim to come back from being in the presence of Christ, they only seem to be motivated, if we grant them the best of all possible intentions, only seem to be motivated to tell everyone about their experience. They love to tell people about heaven, but they don't seem like they have the same desire to try and prepare people for heaven. Not like we see here in Paul. Paul's mindset is, if I can't be in the presence of my king, then the only other option is working for the sake of his church. That's what we see right there in verse 24, don't we? But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul is ready to do what is more necessary over that which would be far more better. Why? Why? On 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 your account, on whose account? On the account of the church, on the account of the, the church in Philippi. Given how much and, and remember, given how much Paul wants to be with Christ, the, the idea that he will joyfully continue serving, joyfully continue serving for the sake of the church shows that he is demonstrating the ultimate attitude of selflessness. This is what we are called to do also to be willing and ready to give up anything that we want the most for that which Christ wants from us the most. Living lives of of fruitful labor for the sake of His church. So if you're a Christian and you're not yet dead, then your call is no different than that of Paul. You are to continue on in the flesh with the understanding that the needs of the church are primary. And given the example that we see in Paul, this is the case even when it comes to our most godly personal desires, let alone the, the purely selfish ones that we're willing to indulge most of the time. The standard of service to the church that we are called to here in this passage is amazing. We, we struggle so much don't we we struggle so much with putting personal desires that really have nothing to do with godliness over the greater purpose of the church we struggle enough just with things like choosing to love and serve the church over over spending my saturday or sunday doing whatever i want to do or choosing to confront someone in their sin because you know how detrimental it is to them even though it might strain the relationship for a moment we would choose uh, I don't know if this is worth relationship strain. We struggle with decisions like choosing to, to point out areas of possible growth in someone's life and getting invested in someone's life and helping them along because we know that's a lot more time and energy. Or even just generally choosing to give up to give up more of your time and energy and money to help strengthen the church and others, knowing that is. That it is less time and energy and money that you can use for yourself in your own pursuits. Even if there is nothing inherently sinful with those pursuits, we, we struggle enough with giving up personal desires that have nothing to do with growth and godliness and are possibly even sinful. We struggle with that, but Paul... What we see in Paul is that he is willing to put that which is an incredibly godly desire on hold for the sake of that which he knows his Lord would deem to be most necessary. Most of us, right, most of us in this church have, have uh, we've been in this church long enough to know that being a follower of Christ means dying to yourself, dying to your own wants, dying to your own desires, taking up your cross and following Christ. If you've been in this church for not very long, you've heard that, you know that truth. But so often, we are so content to see this charge and then set the extremely low bar of that means that I need to choose Christ over sin. And and of course, that's true. But what a ridiculous, ridiculously low standard to set for those who are his slaves, who, for those for whom heaven awaits. What that charge should actually mean to us is that we are going to follow in Paul's example and be those who choose what is more necessary, what is more necessary over that which we might conclude would be much better for ourselves. Even even when it comes to what may be fine desires. There's such a desire around here in this, in this church to have a deeper understanding of who God is, and we praise God for that. We praise God for that. I am so thankful to be in a church where that is true. There are so many that don't reach that standard. But that doesn't mean that we get to just spend all of our time hidden away studying the Bible and reading theology. Again, again, good things. But the reason we do those things is for the sake of our service to the church. Our service to His church. So so we're back to that again. The ultimate purpose of all of your personal growth and sanctification is for you to help others. So there are multiple occasions, even even this week. Think about your week, where, where maybe you would have wanted to just sit qu- sit quietly and and you know you know how nice that is. Read your Bible with a cup of coffee, just communing with the Lord. But maybe one what was most necessary is that you have a phone conversation with another brother in Christ who is struggling with something. Or you need to meet with another member of the church and and think through some ways in which you can help serve and and grow the church. Or even answer an email in order to help someone struggling or or helping helping your your wife or your, your kids think through something biblically. Taking the time to do that. So if I'm in my room and I'm reading my Bible and just enjoying it gloriously just getting so much out of reading god's word and i hear upstairs two of my kids screaming at each other and my wife who's been dealing with it all day and i and my response is to walk to the door and close it so i can go back to reading my bible quietly i'm not behaving righteously there are indeed don't get me wrong really don't want to miss this point. There are indeed many times where we must pull aside and, and read our Bibles and study and pray. And even, even though those times are extremely helpful and edifying, even in those times, times that we call, might, might call our own quiet time, our own personal devotion, even those times are not primarily about us and our growth in sanctification as the end of that. You're learning more so you can share more. You're, you're being personally encouraged and edified in order to spur you on to get into the spiritual battle for the day. You're being spiritually strengthened through those things so that you are of more use to the Master for His sake, for His church. Again, none of the spiritual disciplines that we may practice are an end to themselves. They are always for the purpose of making us stronger and more useful for the goals of evangelism and discipleship. They are for the ministry to others. After God regenerates you and you put your trust in the Gospel, the the very lowest rung on the ladder is beginning to live a life of choosing obedience to your Lord over rebellion against Him. That's the low rung. It's a necessary step to take, but it's, it's, it's down there on the ladder of spiritual maturity. And again, not to say that you're ever going to get to a place uh, while you are alive where you are going to be free from every sing- single sinful desire that clings to you. There will always be a major part of your life that is recognizing more areas of sin and then mortifying it. That's part of growing in godliness. But those things will become less and less life-dominating sinful patterns. And the life of the more mature believer will begin to take place. The life of the more mature believer is one that doesn't consist of choosing between rebellion and obedience, but rather one of One that is discerning of that which might be good and that which is more necessary. That's the life of the mature believer. That takes us into point two. So, when we ask the question about what this fruitful labor looks like, a second way we would answer is it's working for the growth of others. Working for the growth of others. Look again at verse 25. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul says that he is convinced of this. He is convinced of the necessity for him to return and have fruitful labor among the church in Philippi. He's convinced of it. That that's what he needs to do. I feel like if I were a pastor for the church in Philippi, I would feel pretty good about how my church is doing, right? Especially compared to those Corinthians, right? We've pointed out in many places how faithful and loving they have been, how much Paul loves them, what, what a joy they have brought to his heart. But Paul is looking at them with the type of shepherding heart that we all need to strive to have as we look at each other's lives. Yes, he does look at their lives and their love and their progress in sanctification, and sanctification, and it definitely causes him to have much joy. Right? This is the epistle of joy. It causes him to have great joy and to praise God for what he sees in them. But he also looks and sees that they still have need for growth. That is what is meant there when it says progress and joy in the faith both the nouns there that are translated as the words progress and the word joy, the word progress and the word joy, they share one article, meaning that they should both be closely associated with the phrase in the faith. So it's not just progress and joy in the faith. It means we're talking about progress in the faith and joy in the faith. So that is why this point is about the growth of others. We are talking about their spiritual growth, their progress in the faith. So again, we have seen how highly Paul thinks of these Philippians. We've seen it throughout, but that doesn't mean he doesn't still see the need for progress in the faith. In fact, many commentators actually point to the fact that Paul adds the word all in verse twenty five, as as evidence that he is speaking of the of a friction or tension that exists in the Philippian church. So when you look at verse twenty five, where he says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. The word all really isn't necessary there to verse twenty-five. Um, so, so it's addition indicates that Paul wants to make it clear that he sees them as a as a collective assembly. He's not and he's not taking a side on something that might be dividing them. He's he's, he's using unifying language. And then the fact that the next section has Paul imploring them to be of one mind just adds kind of further support to that. In addition to that, we can see through the rest of the book that Paul sees other areas where progress in the faith is needed among the Philippians. Even though we, we read Philippians and we're like, wow, the Philippians, what a great church. But apparently, like we... See, coming up here in chapter 2, apparently they need to exemplify more humility. In chapter 3, we see that, that there is a need for them to be more discerning when it comes to false teaching. We, we find at least two members in chapter 4 who, who need to learn to be at peace with one another. And, and there's another brother who's supposed to learn how to guide those two members in this. And and later on in chapter 4, we see that they they have a need to grow in their trust of God and not being anxious. And also in chapter 4, Paul admonishes them to focus on things that are good and godly instead of that which is unfruitful. The point here is that Paul is very concerned with their progress in the faith. Even though he knows that he will rejoice in their presence when he's with them and he's going to rejoice in their sanctification... The ground for His confidence and the need for Him to return to them is for their progress in the faith. It's not about Him. It's about them. That's what we read right there. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So, Do you, do you see this? That this? This is what it means for us if we want to say along with Paul to live is Christ. It means living in such a way that you see the spiritual needs of others and you, and you know that it is your job to help them grow in the faith. It's not being someone who just kind of notices everything wrong with people. That's not what it is. And, and just dwells on it or just is content to make a judgment and not act on it or just complains about them to others. This is about being one who prizes Seen sanctification in others. One who rejoices in the work of God in the lives of others. Knowing that the primary way that God does this is through the discipling ministry of others in the church, Paul is then able to discern where more progress in the faith is needed in the lives of those whom he loves. And he longs to be used. He longs to be used to bring about that end. We know that Paul has absolute confidence that that this is what God is doing in their lives. We know that from, remember our scripture memory verse a few weeks ago, but in Philippians 1 6, what does he say? 1 6, he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul really believes really believes that this is the work that God is doing in every single member of the church. And because he loves them and he knows that God is in the process of conforming them more and more to the image of Christ, he sees the necessity of being with them so that he can be used by God to accomplish that which, verse 1-6, gives him confidence, is, is certain in their lives. He knows it's certain in their lives, and he sees the necessity of being used to accomplish that goal. So if you're going to say, for me to live as Christ, then you must be living a life that longs to be used by God to help others grow in the progress of their faith. And point three, you must be working for the joy of others. Working for the joy of others. So considering what we've just said about how Paul looks forward to being used by God to help them uh, progress in the faith, it makes complete sense that another part of what it means to say to live as Christ is to help them in their joy in the faith. Their joy in the faith. Their progress in their faith is linked with their joy in the faith. So so that is far from the legalistic false understanding of sanctification that many of us have, have seen in in um, maybe even our own lives, maybe struggled with ourselves, that, that legalistic understanding of sanctification, the idea that we need to continue to obey God, we need to continue to check off all the right boxes when it comes to living for God, the kind of thinking that allows people to start believing that it is up to, to them to, to just you know, try their hardest to please God with their lives. And this is something that they need to do every day for the rest of their lives. It's a legalistic understanding of sanctification, a lifestyle that that leads to nothing but disappointment and anxiety, thinking that it's up to you and you alone to continually please God with your works of obedience. Far from that wrong understanding of what it means to progress in the Christian life. Paul here links progress in the faith with joy in the faith in order to demonstrate that the, that the two are so closely linked together. In other words, progressing in the faith will always be combined with joy. This is one of the, this is one of the great joys that anyone who, is, who has really taken the time to get involved in a discipling relationship has seen. You've seen it firsthand if that's you. It is one of the great privileges of the Christian life to be used by God to come along another brother or sister in Christ and to help them grow in the faith. And then, to see them respond to that with joy. That which would make someone else angry and bitter. And the Christian responds with joy. That's why it's so bad when we fall into the trap of thinking that our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ would be better off if we just kept to ourselves and we avoid getting involved in someone's life and trying to to help them through some of these things that we might be noticing in their life. Or some of these same types of things that Paul notices in the lives of the Philippians. Things like striving with one another in unity. Working in your own life on humility. Exposing areas in people's lives where they may have come under the influence of false teaching. Working to help brothers and sisters reconcile. When we refuse to throw ourselves into the lives of others, to engage in the fruitful labor, to engage in that which is more necessary than anything that you want for yourself, that, that for which we are here. The reason why we're here and not in heaven already. When we refuse to give ourselves to the progress in the faith of our fellow church members, we are treating them sinfully. And we're acting like, like either. acting like either We don't believe they are actually fellow Christians. As if, as if the same Holy Spirit that lives in us and reveals the truths of the Scripture to us doesn't live in them also revealing the same truths. Or, we're acting like what the Bible says about believers and the promise of sanctification isn't true. It's easy for us to make excuses about how we are actually being more loving by not interfering. Or or keeping the peace by not challenging someone on an area of growth. Or maybe even saying things like, you know, I, I shouldn't be pointing out things in the lives of others until I got it all together myself. Maybe we just don't want to say anything because we don't want to invite the same type of scrutiny of others into our own lives. So we just kind of stay silent. But if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian... Then you are one, you are one, because God opened your eyes to a right understanding about the evil and the wickedness, the rebellion of your sin. That it is against an eternal and an infinite God, and it therefore deserves an eternal and infinite punishment. And that Jesus Christ lived the life of perfect obedience that we could not, and He paid that infinite eternal punishment in our place. And when you place your trust in Him, your debt is paid. You are robed in the righteousness of Christ. So, if you have that understanding of what your sin is and what it does, then you don't want any part of it anymore. I mean, didn't we all agree about that last week? About how one of the greatest joys of departing this world and being with Christ is to be free from the presence of sin in your own life forever. Not not having to deal with that anymore. Not noticing it continuously. Not regretting things you say, things you do, things you think. We agree that we want want nothing to do with sin. So if you truly hate sin as you should, then even if it stings a little when someone points it out in your life, of course you're going to take it seriously and act upon it. If they point out something in your life that will help you conform more to Christ and His desire for your life, even if you don't like their tone, or if you know of other stuff in their life that they need to be working on, Sure, you might bristle a bit in your sin at first, but, but surely every Christian who is keenly aware of how dreadful their sin is will in the end embrace whatever messenger it is that God uses to help them to be free from more sinful thinking and more sinful practice and to become more like Christ. Just think of, I, I mean, I hope this is true of you, think of all the times God has used someone else to do that for you. I mean, you know, there, there are sermons and there are, are, are formal teaching times where, where that's probably happened for you also. But hopefully, there are, there are also times when it's a concerned friend or fellow church member. And, and even though at the time you might have been bothered because no one likes to hear that they're doing something wrong. So you, so you might have been bothered at the time, but, but after a while you came to see that God was using them to expose something that you were blind to or maybe that you'd become calloused to. Hopefully you've seen this in your own life on multiple occasions. If you don't ever have anyone do this for you, if you've never had anyone come to you and tell you an area that you are falling short in or a sinful habit that has gone unnoticed by you, or an area in which you need to grow in order to become a more useful servant of the Lord Jesus, that is... If that's never happening in your life then you are either the type of person that everyone knows is going to react really poorly when confronted and or you're not surrounding yourself with the types of fellow believers that you need in your life or maybe you're just not allowing those people to have any meaningful access to your life. This is something that you want if you want, if you love Christ, this is what you want. When you have been blessed to have people in your life who care enough for you that they are not afraid to continue on with you in your progress and joy in the faith, as it says there, then you know that this is without a doubt something that will increase your joy because you've seen it before. And so, so it makes absolute sense then because, because if it is true, like we talked about last week, that the best thing that can possibly happen to you is for you to be in the presence of Christ. That's, the, that's the, the goal. That's the best place for you to be. Then, of course, the thing that on this earth is going to bring you the most joy, the thing that's going to bring you the most joy in this life is doing anything at all that you can do that would bring you closer to Him while you're still in the body. Therefore, You can and should, you can and should have the same confidence that the reason that God still has you alive right now and not in His presence is for you to continue on, to continue on and remain with your brothers and sisters in Christ and minister to them for the goal of their sanctification. Or again, as this passage tells us, their progress and joy in the faith knowing full well that as we bear one another's burdens and we confront each other's sins, but as we do that, we can be be confident that, that if we're talking to a brother or sister in Christ, we can be confident that He who began a good work in them is now using you to faithfully bring it to its completion. And you can be confident that even if it's tough at first, even if it's tough at first, if that person is truly a believer, joy, joy will necessarily accompany their sanctification. And I can promise the promise you that in this church that will be your usual experience. The, the last church I was a part of, and sadly, many churches today will let the preacher preach difficult sermons because as long as they're up, you know, they're up here, he could be talking to anyone, right? But the second you go down and take some of those truths, you place them personally into people's lives and try and help them, there's bitterness, there's hurt feelings, severed relationships. And that's what happens when your church has a good amount of unbelievers in it. And if that's been the case for you in the past, I know that can be discouraging and can kind of knock you out of the game and not make you not want to disciple as much. But I just want to tell you that that is not the case for the most part here. So I I remember I probably hadn't been here for more than a year. And I remember being in Travis's office and I was talking to him about a person in the church um, who had a specific sinful tendency. And I thought, (laughs) I thought if I pointed out to them, they might get angry and leave the church. And he was wondering why I would think that. That's my experience. Travis told me and and this and I and I have and I'm getting better at this now but that I needed to start acting like I believed that the members of our church were real Christians. It was a that was that was a a kind rebuke in helping me in my wrong thinking. And that I should expect that they would respond like a Christian. The way a Christian is going to respond when Scripture reveals sin in their life—they're going to repent and seek forgiveness—and of course, of course, that's exactly what happened, and that's been the overwhelming result of most of the difficult conversations that I've had to have with people since I've been here. It's been—they'll it, leave, and I'll praise God. As a, for for quite a while, it was always a surprise. Like, to, to my shame. Because I've been doubting God and what His Word promises about His people. And guess what? It's, it's so true that as the Christian comes, as, as each of these people come to understand their own sin, and then they grow in their faith as they weed out the sin in their life, they, not only do they not resent you, but they thank you. And it increases joy in their life. Because... Real Christians want to grow to become more like Christ. Right? You need to, if that's not your attitude, it, it, you need to have that attitude and the understanding of your fellow church members. What, why would you fail to rob them of that joy? And not only will they appreciate you, which is nice, but even better... Even better, far more greater. That's the last point. Point four: working is that fruitful labor means that we are working so that Christ will be glorified through others. Again, verse twenty-six, where he says, "So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you." Again, to to live as Christ means to live in such a way that others bring glory to Christ as they observe your faithfulness and ministry. As Paul steps away from that which he most desires in order to do that which is more necessary on account of the church, and and he returns to them in order to continue on with the church and to minister to them for their progress and joy in the faith, the church will witness Paul They will witness Him as He does this and they will have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Those first words right there in verse 26. So that that demonstrates that the end for which Paul continues along with the Philippians isn't only for the sake of their progress and joy in the faith. It is so that even as they see Paul doing this, even even less attention on him. Even as they see him doing this, they will, ha- they, they will find more reason to boast in Christ. The, the wording in this verse, is actually um, in, in the Greek, it's a little difficult for translation purposes. But it's essentially saying that, that they will have a proud confidence in Paul, that a ground for boasting in Paul, That's what's happening whenever we are privileged to see among ourselves a servant of Christ who who lives a life of self-sacrifice and lives for Christ in all things. It gives us a reason for boasting, a reason for confidence, Whenever we see a faithful servant who's giving themselves heart and soul to the service of others for the sake of Jesus, that's the type of person, right? That's the type of person that we all point to as an example, who we, you know, we might name our children after, or or who who we we strive to follow in the footsteps of. And Paul wants to be an example to them in such a way, in such a way that as they see him and the faithfulness of the God that would speak. Spare him, that would keep him from death, that would keep him from imprisonment any longer, in order to return him to do ministry among them again. He wants them to see that. He wants them to see him and turn and have all the more reason to glory in Christ and what Christ is doing, to have grounds for boasting in the goodness and faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And this is something that you know quite well. That the whole goal of our faithful service is to bring more glory to the name of the one who saved us and who called us to such a noble purpose in life. So the end in our service to others is the glory of Christ. We are to serve each other in such a way, to live our lives in such a sacrificial way for the sake of others that when people see our lives, it will be evident to them that someone else must be at the controls of our life. Again, seeing us We want them to see in us such a desire for Christ, such a confidence in our final reward for living a faithful life in service to our King, such a joy that comes with being a slave of such a good Master. That They will see not only the selfless love for others, but the joy that we have in Christ in spite of of any sacrifices or all outside circumstances. It will cause them to boast in the One who could have such a life-changing effect on unworthy sinners like ourselves. We want them to see that. So, church, let us be those who long to live this life for the joyful service of helping others grow into conformity with Christ. It's the most joyful thing to be a part of. Let us give our lives for the purpose of the progress and joy and the faith of others so that, so that those in this church and even those outside of this church will see it and recognize that gathered here, gathered in this assembly, is a people that are only explained by the work of Christ. And let's continue on in the glorious, fruitful labor that Christ has left us to do until the ultimate reward that comes when we depart and are finally able to live eternally in the presence of Christ. Let us pray that we would be a church where every member can say, along with the Apostle Paul, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Father, we thank You for this Word. We thank You for the high calling that if we were to write our own description of what being a faithful Christian looks like, we would come up far short of this. So we thank You for what we see here. What it calls us to. God, I do pray that we would be a church where it is evident that both things, that we have an answer to death. It is not something we live in fear of. The end of the race. The end of the race. A race that is to be run in faithful service to Jesus Christ. So we do pray that while we are here in the midst of this race, we will run it faithfully. We would use everything, all of the resources here, the abundance of resources that You have blessed us with, the teachers, the teaching, the the books, the words in the songs that we sing, the the ability to, to read the Word of God and to do it often, to memorize it, that all of those things will not find their end in us, but that we would take them, be equipped by them, and then wear ourselves out, use ourselves up in service to your church for the sake of your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.